Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Essentials, Foundations of Christianity. Good morning, Cross family. Uh, my name is Rick, like Dustin said. Hey, good morning. I like it. Um, happy Daylight Savings Time to everyone, all right? We, uh, yeah, uh, big fans of Daylight Savings Time in here. Uh, last night, we were on the phone with my little sister-in-law uh, back in Lakeland, and she brought up the time change, and we were like, oh, I know, it's terrible, right? We're losing an hour. And she goes, we're losing an hour? And I said, oh, that is the worst way to find out, right? Uh, it's bad enough, you know. But anyway, so hopefully no one made that mistake in here. It is good to see you. Thank you for being here. Uh, we're continuing in the series on uh, the essentials of the Christian faith. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the difference between the identity, the purpose, and the destiny that Jesus calls us into and the identity, purpose, and destiny that we have received from the culture and probably has shaped us in all sorts of ways, some of which we are aware of, some of which we are not. Um, and the reason this is so essential is because these are the key components that shape everything that we see, right? I mean, it forms the lens through which we see the world, our interpretations of everything. And so we're going to talk about this, talk about the differences between them and how uh, using one and living by one really changes the trajectory of our life, all right? So uh, when I'm using the word identity, I don't just mean who you are. I mean what you trust for your sense of confidence, right? What you are trusting in. We all have something that makes us feel like we're important and valuable. That's what I'm talking about with identity. Uh, with purpose, I mean, that's referring to what we think we should be doing and why, okay? With daily life, what motivates me? Like, what is driving me? And then destiny is what we think this is all adding up to. And so that's going to include circumstances later on in life, like your surroundings, but also the character that is formed by that aim. And so uh, my main point here, the, the idea that I'm trying to express, is that when Jesus is talking about being in the world but not of it, He's talking about being in the world, but going by his ideas of what is true and what's important, what's, what's valuable. And we really have to be intentional about putting those things into practice. And it's not always easy to find out when uh, we're doing that. So uh, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, heard of or paid attention to the 80-20 rule, but what it says is that 80% of your life circumstances right now, the way life is, is the result of 20% of the decisions we've made and I'm going to say here that I think that this core set of ideas, who you think you are, what you think you should be doing, and what you think this is all adding up to, is that 1% that has formed the 20% that has formed the 80% of our lives. And so this is, a, this is the rudder of our lives, these beliefs, okay? Uh, so uh, one of the biggest influences on my life is a philosopher named Dallas Willard. And uh, one of the things that he said, he's a philosopher in Southern California but grew up in Missouri, and uh, he's a Christian man and said that the most important issue facing the world today with all of the world's heartbreaking needs is whether Christians become disciples of Jesus, learning how to live from him, the kingdom of the heavens, into every corner of human existence. Okay, And so if you've hung out here with us at the cross, you may have heard Tim Cash say that when it comes to people in their relationship with God, uh, we generally fall into one of five categories. If you're 
I mean, there's some people who do not care and aren't curious, right, about whether there's a God or whether we owe him anything or what he has to offer. This is someone who's apathetic about, you know, spiritual things. Someone who's becoming interested may feel a stir for something more or may look at the world and say, this is absolutely impossible. I think this is a miracle. And I would like to know more about how this happened. Okay, this is someone who's becoming interested. Uh, C is someone who uh, has committed uh, they are a Christian. They have a relationship with Jesus. The Christian has uh, trusted in Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. Um, but a disciple is someone who is then also has committed to Jesus, put that stake in the ground, but is saying, this is the teacher of my life. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean super Christian. It, it's actually quite freeing because you can say, I'm a student of Jesus. I don't plan on getting anything perfectly right, but I'll always be following, right? And so, of course, this adds gains to your spiritual life over time. But the disciple is a student of Jesus. An equipper, an E, is someone who uh, is, they know their mission and they're having conversations to lead A's, B's, C's, D's, and E's into further relationship with Jesus, right? And so if we're using those categories that, you know, that Tim uses, and I appreciate them, uh, then we could say that Willard is saying the most profoundly impactful thing that can happen on the planet Earth is if the C's become D's. If they, t- if they make that shift from just trusting Jesus um, you know, for salvation uh, into learning from him how to live a saved life every day, like saving it from the waste that comes from just living like we did before, right? So... I don't know about you, but anytime someone makes a huge claim like that, that the most important thing is this, despite all of the other heartbreaking and soul-crushing evils in the world, I'm going to say, why in the world do you think your thing is so important, right? And so I think the reason that it is, uh, or at least the reason that I agree with this here, is because uh, there's a theologian who teaches at Yale, and he says that really what's needed for human beings to flourish is uh, for their external circumstances uh, to be sufficient. There needs to be enough food. There needs to be law that protects people. Uh, There needs to be jobs available. So like external stuff, right? He would say the people uh, need to have good internal characteristics, like they need to be able to trust each other. They need to have skills to do their jobs. They need virtue and character, right? Uh, And then he says they also need contentment, right? Because if they're not content with those external circumstances, uh, there's riots. You know, that's when things really, people protest and things are disruptive and people are not flourishing. So the reason that I think that discipleship to Jesus is the path to entering into each of those contentment, internal and external circumstances, is because discipleship to Jesus is the process of training to become the kind of person, right? It's transforming us into someone who can be filled to all the fullness of God, right? This is a fantastic description of what contentment is. Um, So contentment, uh, or the lack of contentment, is the reason for every sin that's ever been committed. Uh, Paul Tripp says that uh, Adam and Eve were not content in a perfect world. I mean, they had everything they needed, everything they could want, and they still wanted more because they were not satisfied with God. And he says that they weren't content in a perfect world, but Jesus was content enough to leave the perfection of heaven and enter the broken world. And this is what it is for Christians to follow Jesus, is we are remaining in the broken world. We're, our hope is not to escape this. Our hope is to be with Jesus as we are expressing love to the brokenness around us. And so, 
again, uh, contentment from a biblical standpoint is to be filled to all the fullness of God. Now, when I was in high school, I would have, whenever I would hear contentment, I would think, oh, you mean boring, right? Or you mean someone who gave up and doesn't want anything anymore, someone who's not ambitious. But uh, I think that that's a serious mistake uh, because uh, when you are full and you turn down dessert because you are full, that's not you giving up, right? It's because you're full of something really good, all right? And if we become the kind of people who are filled to all the fullness of God, we are filled to all of the fullness of the best possible thing in the universe, okay? Uh, Now, uh, the way that we can become content in God is based on the character that we develop. Like, we actually have to have a set of attitudes and beliefs and desires that would support being satisfied with God and being energized and joyful about what God loves and wants. And this happens through our process of being a student of Jesus. Uh, I think we can all agree in here that any time that there's uh, ever an organ transplant, it was not because it was like for fun, right? Anytime there's an organ transplant, it wasn't out of jealousy either. I mean, like it was motivated by the need for it. That body needed an organ transplant. And uh, still though, even though the body really needs that thing, and the only reason that organ is going into that body is to save the body, the body will reject that organ if it is incompatible. And if we have the identity, the destiny, and the purpose of the world in us, it's going to conflict seriously with the identity, destiny, and purpose that Jesus has for us, okay? So the world's identity for us uh, would tell you that uh, the most important thing about you is either what you think of yourself or what your neighbors think of yourself, and this is usually determined by what you have produced or what you possess, right? So your value is based on the stuff you have or have earned, okay? Biblically, the most important thing about a human being, the reason we're valuable, is because God who is love, loves us. He's the one in the universe that really actually knows what is valuable and what is not, and he values people, uh, not specifically because we're valuable, but because he is love, and therefore we are valuable. And so, when we're talking about discipleship, I'm talking about leaning into that belief Practicing the belief, it's going to feel really hard at first, but it'll get easier like practicing anything. The belief that really, other things about me are important, they're significant, but this is the most important. This is the thing that doesn't change, and it's better than anything I'm going to earn for myself, right? The world's purpose would say, you know, uh, the, the moments that make life matter are the ones that take your breath away, right? Heightened emotions because of experiences. Seek your happiness from experiences is what a culture who doesn't treat God like he has any part in the world would tell you. That's the peak. And the scripture would say uh, that actually the joy of the Lord is your strength. The fact, God's joy in being himself, uh, God's love for you, is more enjoyable than all of what he has made. Therefore, let you know, your joy in God's eternal being and character be the thing that, deter- that determines your emotional resourcefulness day-to-day rather than what's going on around you, right? And then destiny, again, if we live in a culture that doesn't treat God like he's either here or has anything to do anything, then the best destiny, the best thing for you to aim for is approval from the group of people that you admire. Maybe you've rejected your family and you want approval from another crowd. Maybe from a traditional culture, you really do care about your family's uh, approval, but the destiny is to be loved by your friends and envied by your enemies if possible, right? It's the best thing that can be thought of if there isn't an eternal loving God. 
But if there is, then the destiny that Jesus has for us is uh, heaven in us, or the fullness of God in us, and us in heaven. So, uh, in following Jesus, we can develop the character that allows us to have these. Now, finally, Wolf, I mean, Wolf is extremely correct when he says external circumstances are really important, right? However, I would say we need to have the character of Christ to then engage the really terrible uh, external circumstances that exist because as Nietzsche, who hated Christians, but he knew this, Nietzsche said you better be careful not to become a monster when you fight monsters, right? If our aim is just to try to save the world, we could very well have a very disordered soul as a result. And so uh, as Christians develop that uh, joy in Christ, which then allows us to have uh, the character of Christ, which then allows us to uh, engage in external circumstances, we can actually be known for what Jesus said his followers would be known for, and that is to love each other the way that he loves us, meaning love the people of God with a love that is clearly not based on stuff from this world, right? Because it keeps going even when things get bad. When that happens, the church becomes what Eugene Peterson has called a colony of life in a country of death. This is what the church is supposed to be, a group of people that love each other the way that Jesus does so that it just disrupts normal life for people who see it. David Brooks says that the way that culture changes is when they notice a smaller society on the fringes living in a better way than they do and copying them, right? This is what Jesus calls us to be. So a disciple, as a student, I tell our students on Wednesday nights that the student of Jesus is someone who is training to be filled to the fullness of God, which results in the agape love of neighbor, right? The, the really powerful love of neighbor that comes from the fullness of God that we have. This is going to come from seeing how Jesus sees, hearing how he hears, thinking how he thinks. And uh, so you might know if you've been here for a little while, the Cross Loganville has a plan you know, that we call our partners into. We would encourage you to attend one service a week, you know, serve in some capacity, join a small group, share your story, and, you know, read your Bible and pray and these things. And these are important. Absolutely. I love these. Um, the point of them, though, is to begin to shape us into that image of Christ, right? Someone who does think the way he thinks and uh, loves the way he loves. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus specifically warns. I don't think he's trying to guilt us. I think he's trying to help us avoid a life of regret. But he's talking to people of faith, like us, involved with the church, following him. That's his assumption. And he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. It's not saying you have to do it in secret. It's saying, let the motive of your heart not be to just get an attaboy, you know, or girl from someone around you, do things to be seen from your Father in heaven, okay? And that's really difficult, right? Because most of what we've done in life, it's hard for us to even think in terms of not earning something. Our entire lives, um, we can only think of earning. But when it comes to responding to love of God, our motive in doing the things that shape us isn't to score points with anybody. It's not to earn from God. It is to align our character, right, into someone who can enjoy what, God's, what God enjoys. So when the aim of our effort uh, is to be seen by human beings, it's because we're copying the pattern of the world that tries to get people's attention so we can have their approval. 
But when we are doing things to be seen by God, it's for us to actually be seeing God, right? And what this means is we're not earning. We're responding to the love that has been on every single one of us since before we were conceived. There's a difference between earning and embracing what is already there, right? And we are shaped as we do these, these spiritual disciplines. Um, so we all want attention. Uh, just the other day, one of my little kids was in the living room. And, you know, I'm talking to Kara, and he says, look over here, look over here, look over here, interrupts. And he's standing in front of the couch and just jumps on the couch. I mean, it wasn't anything particularly crazy, right? But children do this all the time because we were built to bask in the loving attention of God our Father, right? And we're going to be doing that. We're going to be seeking attention from somewhere. The key is to be responding to the attention that will truly fill us to all the fullness of God. Um, so Thomas Merton says it like this. He says, dare to advance in the love that has redeemed you and to laugh at the preposterous idea of worthiness. And what he's saying here is, seriously, it can really be humbling to respond to the love of God because there's no earning involved. In our entire lives, our self-concept has come from earning. I made this of myself. Try telling that to your creator, right? There's no negotiation on this. The reason you're valuable is because he values you. You can't do anything to make him love you more or less. This utterly breaks the way that we're used to dealing with people, right? So it could be a challenging thing. So Merton says, dare to advance in that and to laugh at the preposterous idea of worthiness, of proving yourself, right? And so what that means, listen, when you've wasted your time with something, it's usually feelings of regret, right? I mean, the reason that we would be able to laugh at the way that we have spent our life is because the love of God is so much better than we can realize that we notice that as long as we have this, we have everything we need, right? We laugh because um, no serious harm was done. We have found something better than being perfect, right? Um, so the way that I think uh, this happens is uh, it's not in the big, exciting events of daily life. Uh, Dallas Willard says that if you're going to hit a home run, you don't do it on the spot, right? I mean, you have to train quite a bit. And the way that we're going to do this, the way that you develop the character of Jesus is in the daily, slow, unnotable times of daily life. Eugene Peterson, Peterson says there's no other time to live by faith than in the daily events of life. And so what I'm talking about is engaging all tasks. Of course, the big ones, that'll need some extra prayer. You may even need to really write and think about what you're going to do in a big situation. But I'm talking about practicing in the boring, unexciting habits that have already been formed, right? Um, learning to approach what needs to be done, grocery lists and changing diapers I'll talk about in a little bit, how we can do that um, if that's you know, part of your life right now. Uh, doing the budget, filling up with gas, looking at these situations with a different purpose, okay? That sounds, that's a really difficult thing to do. So let me give an example of someone who approached a similar task with a different mindset, okay? Uh, in Russia, they did this study and they asked little elementary school boys to stand still for as long as they could. And uh, <laughs> that's interesting, right? Well, it turns out, I'm really impressed with the little Russian elementary school kids. Those boys were able to stand still for two whole minutes. I mean, like, that's more than I would have expected, right? Maybe they were just utterly terrified of the teachers, okay? Um, who knows? But uh, when the same children were told to stand still for as long as they, well, they didn't tell them to stand still as long as they could. What they said was, uh, pretend you're a soldier guarding something important. 
And with this different mindset, pretending to be a soldier, they were able to stand there still for nine minutes, right? It's because they had a different identity in mind. They had a different purpose in mind. And they were, I mean, they stood there like many times the amount they would normally be able to do this. Now, I'm not calling us grown-up people who love Jesus to pretend we're something we're not. What I'm calling us to do is to act like God actually says we are this, right? I'm calling us to stop pretending as if what's most important about us is what we think of ourselves or what someone else thinks of us or how much we own or these different uh, really trivial markers of value. I'm telling us to stop pretending, right? With God, there is no pretending. Really acting like we are who the creator says we are um, and that his values really do define us. So the reason this is such a passionate topic to me, I've been searching for a solution like this for the longest time. So when me and Tim started talking about destiny, identity, and purpose, I listened and have spent a ton of time thinking about this stuff um, because it has a huge part in my personal life. So uh, I want you to keep in mind here, I'm about to tell the story of my Christian upbringing and then an experience I had in the middle of it, okay? Um, As far as I know, I'm at least a fifth-generation Christian, Uh, My great-great-grandpa used to ride his bike around different towns in Finland and would preach, and my great-grandma would be on the bike with him, and she would sing. In my house, I've got Swedish and English Bibles from the grandparents that they had over in Europe. Uh, I was born and raised in the same church as my parents and grandparents attended before I was born. Probably got saved around four or five. It was so early, I don't remember. But I saw a scary movie and realized I needed to know Jesus, okay? And so you'd be surprised how many stories that is of kids at Christian college, you know. I found out I wasn't alone. But I baptized at a young age, learned the Bible very well, and uh, went to a Christian college, really did value God. I want to make this clear. Was saved, did have a relationship with God, and really, really sought his blessing on my life, Okay? Uh, But that being said, uh, my first experience with identity, destiny, and purpose came from a school project and not from the church. This thing's backwards. The first time that I really encountered the power of identity, destiny, and purpose was when we were given a history project. You had to uh, interview a member of your family. You know, he's a little bit older than you. So I interviewed my grandpa, and uh, he... He's always been really quiet, you know, really reserved, so I didn't know any of this. Sixth grade was the first time that I heard that when he was 16 years old, he asked his father if he should join the Finnish army or the American army because Germany was taking over the world and they were coming for Finland. He had American citizenship, and so he knew that it would be an option, you know, to fight with America. And his dad said, they can give you shoes over there. You need to go to America, all right? So at the age of 16, most of my kids are thinking about college. It's what I was thinking about. My grandpa was thinking, which... Army offers a better chance of survival, right? And so there was this kind of feeling of a near-death experience, you know, like I did not take life for granted as a result of this. Later heard, you know, he survives the war, uh, gets the GI Bill, goes to school at night, lays brick during the day, has four sons, had a construction career, and eventually the final project was working for Disney World, which is kind of a big thing, you know, in Florida where I'm from. And coming away from this, it was... Number one, life's not, you know, a guarantee. And it really felt like this, I'm very thankful to be alive. Secondly, my identity was largely formed by incredible inspiration by the survivor that my grandpa is, right? And so there was this feeling of don't take life for granted. There's a serious struggle that you've never known about, but it's happened before for you. It's how you got here. 
And uh, then, really soon, I realized I'm the only grandson. I'm the only Bloomquist, at least around that area of Florida. I thought I was the only one at the world at that point, okay? But uh, there's some in Minnesota or something. And, but I realized I don't have any, you know, male cousins. I don't have any brothers. My family is going to be determined by what my kids act like, right? And so I decided I'm going to have six sons that are going <laughs> to carry on the name. And uh, my goal from that moment forward was to become the absolute best, wisest, dependable, imitatable is the key word. I was going to be as good as I could be to increase the chances that my kids would pass on the name, would be good people, and that our name would mean something good. And so this became my purpose. And uh, destiny... I didn't really think about it. This was very subconscious, but I thought, and at the end of it, when we've been tremendously successful, and they're all senators, right, and we're all famous, whatever, they will honor their father that made this possible, right? So that being said, I mean, this, I'm a sixth grader, keep in mind, all right? And, um, but this is what motivated me, and it was really fun. Uh, it made every day very exciting. I mean, I remember waking up in the morning and thinking there are so many things to learn, to arm myself with. There are so many people to get to know, so many voters to get to know, so many future customers to get to know, right? And it made life fun. I mean, it really freed me to have a sense of you can learn. Don't worry about looking like an idiot. Learn, 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 learn so you can dominate later on in life, right? And there was this sense of freedom. And the result was I did learn a lot. Uh, life was very enjoyable. It was fun. It kept me out of trouble because my ethical rule was don't do anything you wouldn't want your sons to do. And that didn't just include uh, uh, sin, it included anything that could be considered unwise, right? Anything that would be uh, unnecessarily risky. And so uh, engaged in life like this and uh, became student council president and homecoming king and got a scholarship from the school to go to college because they liked me. I mean, it was quite the fun time, right? It kept me out of trouble and everything. Two months into college, I um, continue to be motivated by this sense of purpose, identity, and destiny. It was great. Get to college, and at Target one day, I'm reading this book, this personal finance book, because one of the big goals was to be, you know, super wealthy. This was one of the things. And I can only give credit to the Lord for this, because I, I can't even believe that my mind went here when I read this. But the story was a, of a really ambitious young man. And he's struggling really, really hard to accomplish a goal. Like, he's really going after this thing big. And in this particular moment, this thing that he was struggling for ferociously just fell in his lap. And it, like, it just kind of shook him up. He was just like, what, what, am I, what do I do now? And in that moment, I mean, it was like a lightning flash of insight where I realized what has been so fun, what has been so energizing for the last six years, and what I planned on doing for the rest of my life was the uncertainty of it. I mean, it was only the challenge of it. If this stuff was a guarantee, if I knew everything worked out well, I wouldn't be that interested. Uh, I realized that all I'm really trying to do is prove myself to myself and people I don't like, which is an absurd, you're no hero for doing that, right? There's no sense of purpose in that. They did a, uh, a study, I think it was B.F. Skinner, where he took pigeons and put them in this little box. And uh, there's a little food machine where they could peck this little button, and once they'd peck it once, there'd be food. Again, there'd be food. Then on the other side, they had a, a little food machine where if they pecked it uh, 10 times or 20 times, no food came at all. And so the pigeons would go to the one that was guaranteed when they were hungry. They would go to, they would never go to the one that never had food, but the middle one, 
the, the whole experiment was to see what they would do is if the reward was variable, when they didn't know when it was going to come. And so in this case, they'd peck three times, then you get a piece of food. Five times, then you get a piece of food. One time, surprise, you get a piece of food. And they measured the dopamine releases, which is responsible for all desire humans have and other creatures. They measured uh, the dopamine release in that thing, and it went nuts. Like the one where it was not guaranteed, these pigeons were addicted to this. It was a slot machine, right? This is exactly why slot machines are so addictive. Uh, beware, your phone is designed to operate like a, a slot machine, right? It's that variable reward ratio uh, that keeps us so hooked to our phones they've talked about. In this, I just realized, this is a game. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm not doing things that are helpful, but this can't be the thing that really motivates me. This, this is a game. There's no heroic thing. That's not serious meaning. This has been entertainment, which has happened to go okay, but this is not something that's going to continue to motivate me. And in that, then finally I realized I'm playing, I'm trying to prove myself to myself, which is nothing. And then I realized sometimes children don't cooperate. <laughs> and uh, the whole idea that my kids are going to be inspired and do all this great stuff, maybe, right? But if, if that's really what you're betting on, um, that's not really wise. Oftentimes that doesn't happen. And we can think in the future when that doesn't happen, what kind of resentment does a parent have for a kid when they said, you were going to do this for me? I had this hope for you, and you didn't do it. I mean, we're talking a recipe for absolute misery. And so in this, I realized, uh, I'm not saying things aren't important. I'm not saying the rest of my life isn't valuable for some reason. I just don't know why. Like, I don't know what's really being excited about. I don't know what to dedicate myself to. Uh, in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus has this big crowd of people that he's feeding. And his disciples have been following since the beginning. And Peter feels like this is success time, man. We got this big old crowd. And then Jesus uh, preaches a rather awkward sermon, okay? And the crowd leaves. And Peter's not really thrilled about this. I mean, they lost the big crowd, right? And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, are you going to be leaving me too? And Peter says, pretty unenthusiastically, where else am I going to go? You're the ones with eternal life. He didn't say, you bet, I'm there before you. He said, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else am I going to do? This was very much the attitude that I had. And keep in mind, the reason I tell you this, had been born and raised in church, knew all the theological ideas, did have a relationship with God, but did not share an identity, destiny, and purpose with Jesus uh, that would have turned me into anybody that looked like him, right? And so a search for purpose, identity, and destiny uh, was the journey of college for me. I mean, like, that's where the time went, and uh, which is why when we began to talk in terms of this, the idea that really the most important thing about you ever is not you've proven something, but becoming the kind of person who actually likes that Jesus loves you, right? Where that's really the thing that you value the most. The purpose, becoming the kind of person who can actually enjoy God who is most enjoyable, that doesn't feel heroic at all. And forget the heroic. It's not about us, right? God's the hero. But that is quite fine, right? I mean, if we can learn to enjoy God and love neighbor as a result of the fullness of God, forget being a hero, right? Forget trying to prove yourself. Let God be the hero of the universe, and you will be perfectly satisfied, right? And then the destiny, truly, not just getting into heaven after you die, but heaven coming into earth through you, you carrying the presence of heaven. This is what the world needs. There's plenty to do with our time left on earth uh, as Christian people. And so, um, like I said, the, uh, uh, 
it's, it's really challenging to find out when we put this into practice, but I honestly think that in daily life, there are things we don't even think about anymore that if we re-examine Jesus, when he said repent, he used the word metanoeti, and what it meant was re-examine your thinking. It definitely means go in a different direction, but the reason you would go in a different direction is because you're re-examining the assumption that you've always had, right? And so I'm talking about going to daily tasks in daily life. So um, this may not apply to young, young kids, because I'm going to talk about two issues about having children, right? And children are a huge identity thing. They're a huge purpose thing, right? Children have a lot to do with our destiny. But uh, I'm going to start with probably one of the most unpleasant daily, multiple daily tasks uh, that parents perform, and then also one of the heights here. How would you change a diaper as a student of Jesus, right? How would you uh, approach this really unpleasant task not for the sake of just eliminating the problem, right? But by doing something that reinforces my idea that I am who Jesus says I am, that my goal is what God wants it to be, and that my destiny is what God wants it to be. So in the case of running into this really unpleasant situation, right, um, your identity in Christ is challenged, right? Your identity from the culture is challenged. And I say this because, um, you know, the, the culture would tell us, that the most important thing about you is what you produce, right? And there's not a lot of satisfaction in producing a clean diaper on a kid, right? You're not going to be a hero because of that, right? But what you can do, and what people often do in various places, is take pride in their suffering, right? And so if you're a workout person, or uh, then you're going to take pride in the reps in the gym, unless Jesus is your identity. But if your identity is workout person, Every single rep is an opportunity to boast. I mean, if that's the big thing. If, you're, if money is the idol of your life and you think that's what gives you your value, you're going to be, be very, very tempted to boast in the ways that you got money, right? All the extra hours you put in at the office, be really, really smart or whatever. And the temptation of people who are changing diapers can be taking pride in their suffering. This is what people often do, right? They try to find money, meaning by taking pride in their suffering. Now, if we instead uh, approach this as a student of Jesus, someone who is remembering, training to remember at different times during the day, the most important thing about me is not what I produce. The most important thing about me is God's unquestionable love for me. Then you can remind yourself that God, who didn't think it was all that important to show people uh, that he was a big deal, right? I mean, he is in the image of God, but is... He's okay with being mistaken as something less than that by human beings. Uh, if he's willing to wash feet, then I, I can be. I'm allowed to be. I'm free to be willing to serve in this way because it's nowhere near as humiliating as the way Jesus did, right? Um, he served in an ugly way because he was overflowing with love and was willing to do what was necessary. I can absolutely be doing this too. And as you continue to reinforce that identity, it gets easier and easier and easier. Let's compare the purposes. If the culture tells us that your purpose comes from enjoying what's around you, it's impossible to enjoy changing a diaper, right? Therefore, the way you'll be dealing with it is by rushing through it fast. Anytime we're in a hurry, we're very, very close to being angry, right? And so when anything else doesn't work, uh, it's going to be really tempting to uh, leave that situation in a low, resourceful mood, be less patient and kind to the rest of your family. But if, during this unpleasant experience, we can remember, would I rather be somewhere else, you know, like a beach or something? Absolutely. Is being on a beach somewhere else as enjoyable as God? No. 
It can't be, right? God is more enjoyable than all he has made. Even the perfect situation, you imagine being somewhere else, right? You can substitute diaper for anything else, by the way, like doing your taxes or something, okay? But, um, but thinking, I don't want to be doing this. I'd rather be doing something else. But even that better thing isn't even close to the amount of joy-causing power that God has, right? And then finally, destiny. The way we make it through unpleasant situations is by focusing on why we're doing it, the future reward. And so you may be really tempted. This is like the sixth diaper today. This child better be an astronaut or something, right? And instead, remembering, what is all this? What is all, what does all this add up to? And the answer is heaven in you and you in heaven. This is one piece of thousands of other things we do every single day for the sole purpose of turning you into someone who can carry heaven with them and then be quite the inhabitant of heaven later on, right? And so that's an unpleasant example, but I think just as often we're going to need to be able to guard our hearts against the absolute heights of parenting, right? What I have found is that I don't really need to hurry so much when I'm putting the kids to bed, right? At the end of the day, this is the first time there's not noise. I'm literally slowing down to calm them down so they go to sleep, right? And you can be reflective in those moments. And night after night, it's not all the time, but every now and then when I'm putting down the kids, there's a few things that crosses my mind, right? Number one, this isn't going to last forever, right? There's only so many of these nights, It's the end of something, and night teaches you this is the end of something. There will be a real end someday to the phases of their life, uh, to our lives, whatever. And so I'm primed to think and slow down. There's not too many of these. Secondly, the full attention is on the kid, right? And in that moment, as I'm really thinking about the growth that I see week to week, when they say a new word or say something about God, I mean, that's the big one, you know, like when they tell a story about Jesus or something, um... That's when the joy just becomes really, really huge. And it crosses my mind, this joy is too big for me. I don't think I can, I don't think I can handle this. This is, this is too big for me. It's not just that I owe it to God. It's that I need God to hold this joy for me so that I can recognize him as the giver of this gift. Because if we can do this, if everything we enjoy, we thank God for. I mean, like, remember, this wouldn't be here without him. What does this do? It increases our trust that every good thing came from him. There are good things in the future. And the joy that you have on earth is just a little showing of what's coming later on, right? And so, uh, in this case... um, He's the, acknowledged by me as the creator. My heart is protected. It, it's more invested in heaven. Um, character is formed in that moment, just like it can be for thousands of other moments. What it's just going to require is the intentionality, right, to begin this and understand this. This is the compounding project of my life to be someone who approaches everything as Jesus would do it because it's what I need the most, it's what my neighbor needs the most, and it is what makes God look best, which is the point of our life, to glorify God, right? So that being said, um, that's a heck of a lot for one sermon. (laughs) Identity, destiny, and purpose is a lot, a lot. And so there's no way that this is like the big thing that changes everything. I'm hoping that this will be the beginning of different conversations you have with your friends, your spouse, yourself in a journal, The whole identity, destiny, purpose thing is a way of examining your motivations so that you can see where you're investing your hope and heart, okay? And so I'm just going to uh, leave us with three questions here to kind of get started. These aren't the best questions at all necessarily, but at least they're going to be telling something 
about where our hopes are currently invested. And if we think those hopes are safe there, or if they could be transferred more into the heart of God to increase our joy and our ability to love those we already treasure, okay? First one is, some of these are kind of uncomfortable. Uh, what are you most terrified of losing? What are you most terrified of losing? Because there's no question that this, you can follow that fear to a treasure, right? Secondly, what is the absolute best thing that you think can happen in life? Like what's, you know, what do you normally aim for? What's the best thing you can happen? And then secondly, if being filled to all the fullness of God is really a thing, right? Ephesians 3, right? If this is really something, how is being filled to all the fullness of God better than that? What's the best thing that I normally think that can happen? And then how would... If I could be this, how would being filled to all the fullness of God be better than that? And then third, what do I think about when I don't need to think about anything? Tim Keller says that our religion is what we think about in our solitude. It's what we trust the most uh, for our joy, for our safety, uh, what we care about the most. The last question is, what do you think about when you don't need to think about anything? Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecarlsloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.